multiple instructions at a time, so catch up, keep up. Uh, I'm going to invite you to join me in Psalm, Psalm chapter 1. I don't know if the Psalms don't have chapters. Psalm number 1, right in the middle of the Bible. If you have a Bible, if you have a phone, just kind of scroll down to the bottom. I don't know how phones work. I've never used one before. Psalm 1. We're continuing today in, in our kind of mini-series on wisdom literature, and we found our way to uh, something that doesn't really come up often in wisdom, but Psalm chapter 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Psalm 1, not, no chapter. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate both day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yields their fruits in its seasons, and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to keep your finger there or your phone open. We're going to come back to this uh, a little bit today. A, a lot of scripture, and you know, call it a number of 90% of scripture, is God's words to us. This, the story of Jesus for us, the, the letters of Paul written to us, communicating something about who God is coming down to meet who we are. Albeit comes through, the, these scripture passages comes through broken and sinful humans. It gets transferred through a very uh, hodgepodge passage of, of time when the texts are written and handed on to other people and edited by other people. It's filtered through the brokenness of our humanity. But Psalms is a little different. These are robustly our collection of words to God. And being our words to God, they, they give us a pattern and a rhythm and a cadence to shape our prayers and our psalms. John Calvin famously said that uh, the psalms are the anatomy of all of the parts of the human soul. To borrow from Sori Kierkegaard, to meditate on the psalm is to choose to will, to be ourselves before God, to sing with full-throated praise, to when it's appropriate to give honest voice to our despair when we are sad, to present our very ordinary lives, our daily selves, to God. To borrow from an Apple ad a few years ago, it doesn't matter where you are, there's a song for that. You guys remember that? There's an app for that? Okay, it just wasn't funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> are you hurting right now? There's a song for that. Are you depressed? There's a psalm for that. Are you joyous or thankful or happy or, or wherever you are, there is a psalm for that. Are you so angry that you want to bash a baby's head against a rock? That's a very uh, disturbingly specific thing, but yes, there's a psalm for that too. We find ourselves in these words. We find our lives, both the highs and the lows, both the ins and the outs, the times when we are blessed, the times when we are sad, all of human existence is written on these pages, and we can find where we are in the Psalms, which is a little strange. 
Because the first song, the, the one that's set out to give us a pattern to, to be the opening for all the other ones, the one that's going to introduce us to what happens in this book, it's about wisdom. And we are not a very wise people. This week, children in schools were stealing soap dispensers because of TikTok. Adults were taking horse dewormer because of Facebook. We are not a smart people. We are not a wise people. Much like Robert Frost says, Psalm number one says that there are two roads diverging in a yellow wood. There is a road of the wise and there is a road for the wicked. If you want to know what path you're on, come to me afterwards. I have a list. I keep track of that. One road leads the way to happiness. One road leads the way to judgment. The two roads do not ever cross. They do not ever stick, intersect. They are out in front of us. Immediately, there may be some red flags in your mind jumping up. Anytime that word happiness is thrown about, I know I feel a knee-jerk reaction to say, hold on a second. What is happiness? But a fleeting illusion that comes flittering like a butterfly in one moment before it is blown away by the wind. Be wary, my friends, of any pastor who tells you that they are going to give you the secret to happiness just behind curtain number three. Run away from anyone who promises to give you just the three steps to have a happy and fulfilled life. It doesn't work that way. I am not a Buddhist, just to clarify that. But Buddhism, unlike Christianity, comes out and says right at the beginning that happiness is not there, that all of the world is suffering. That's the first of their noble truths. And the way to avoid suffering is to follow a path of detachment. There is no happiness. That doesn't stop us from pursuing it, from chasing after it, from following it. We, we all know that things don't make us happy, right? We know that in our mind, and yet we give ourselves to following after things. I think most of us could often say that money doesn't buy happiness. And yet there are millions and billions of people who will pursue that end till their life for their entire life. Apparently there was a study done a couple years ago. I'm going to undercut what I just said. They, they did a study and they found out that the key to happiness is reaching $120,000 a year in income. So I'm a long way from that. Once you get that, you know, there's nothing, there's no happiness above that, and you're kind of struggling to get your cost of living made. So just you're welcome for that. You can be unhappy that you're not landing there. Or I, I have two couples that I can think of. One couple has everything they could want. They have all the toys their hearts desire. They have a nice house. They have new cars. They, they have the freedom to travel. They're unburdened by family or children. And they're not happy. They're always complaining. They're always down. It's always raining where they live. I think of another couple. Older in life, living in a crumbling mobile home. Their health is failing. And yet every time I visit them, they cannot stop talking about how blessed they are about how rich their life is, about how good God has been to them. We know that money can't make us happy, and yet people pursue it till their fingers fall off. Ooh, I could go on, and then I do, but I think we could skip ahead. You can add fame to that list. You can add power. You can add prestige. You can add all sorts of things to that list of things that, 
that don't make us happy. And yet the Bible, Psalm 1, starts out with that word, happy are those, blessed are those. The Hebrew here is a share, which, which is derived from a word not meaning a, an emotional state or anything, but a direction. A share means to go straight. It means to advance. This is a movement, not an emotional state, not some kind of ecstatic union. Psalm, the psalmist isn't talking about your experience of euphoria when you have chocolate or when you complete a puzzle. It's talking about a movement. Happiness here is an action. There, there's a Japanese word to help us understand. It's called moya moya. You know, say that with me. Moya moya. Uh, it, it's, it's this intangible emotion that, you know, emotions are culturally conditioned. Anyway, Japanese has, has a, this motion, moi moi. It's, it's like a, it literally means a, a puff of smoke or a cloud. And it's this kind of fog that can descend upon you in your heart, in your mind. This feeling of helplessness and sadness and stuckness, something intangible. You're not really sure. You're not going forward. You're not going back. You're just there. Boy, if we've ever felt that, I think the last couple of years can be handled for it. Stuck in our homes, stuck in a pandemic, stuck in our jobs, stuck in our families. That is the opposite of what Psalm is talking about with happiness, with the blessedness that comes from God. God is a movement. It is a going somewhere. It is going straight and advancing. It is to be unstuck. And the way to get unstuck, the way to move forward, the way to be straight, the way to be blessed is to meditate. So let me ask you a question. I, I want a response here. So when I say the word meditate, what do you think of? Prayer. Okay. What else? Silence. Okay. Get, let, let's, let's, yeah, we're not going to all do this, but that's what I think of. The home, sitting in the lotus position, probably wearing a robe, some incense burning. You know, that, that's, that's, that's what I think of meditate. That's where I go. But silence and prayer are brought into that. You know, uh, nobody has time for that, though, right? No, nobody has time to sit quietly for hours on end and go, not in my life. The, the, the way that monks can do that is they all live in common community. And so whilst one person's out uh, hoeing the field and cleaning the toilet, uh, the other people can sit in prayer. Your life probably doesn't happen like that. Your life, I'm going to guess, is a lot like mine in that you get home from work and you have about four hours to get 40 things done before everybody has to go to bed. And that includes homework and soccer practice and band camp and all the other things with life. And heaven forbid you ask someone else to help out with the dishes or else hell and fires will call forth on your family and there will be a meltdown in the fire. And I'm just a raging thing. That is not what meditation is. In scripture, it is not this tranquil case, of, uh, tranquil moment of peace and reflection. The, the word literally is moaning. It is, it is speaking. It is that growling. It is a wrestling. This is not a passive reception of God's word. It is a call to act in meaningful and intentional ways towards God's guidance. What the psalmist is calling us to is to actively engage in the law of the Lord. The context here is the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the law that the psalmist has in mind. The gift from God, the teachings of Moses that were going to instruct the people. This is the story of creation and Adam and Moses and Exodus, the do's and don'ts of Leviticus, and all of the boring stuff in Numbers that we just skip over. But I think it's okay today to push that limit, to push that understanding of what exactly the law of the Lord is. To expand how God has interacted with us and communicated to us. Of course, we want to include the New Testament in that. The words of Jesus and the words of Paul, the, the vision of Revelation. All of these are ways that God has communicated to us. But I think we can push it a little further. Into the world of theology and history. Into the world where, where God has communicated, not just with our forefathers and mothers, but, but for generations back. I think we can push that even into your very lives. The time when God has interacted with you. God, times when God has spoken into your world. The law of the Lord has come and brought you revelation and grace and truth. The key here is to engage. To, to wrestle, to mull that over, to meditate. The, the worst thing you can do, okay, maybe not the worst thing you can do. There's probably some worser things like, you know, bashing babies. That's probably worse. Uh, the worst thing you can do in your devotion it is to read a passage of scripture and close your Bible and get up and walk about your day and never think about it again. And to check that box, to mark that, and go on. To meditate means to wrestle. It means to engage. Maybe even it means to disagree. I don't know if you've ever had a pastor tell you it is okay to argue with the Bible. It's okay to find something in the Bible that, that, that tackles you. You know, the Bible's there. It should challenge you. It should encourage you. It should give you grace. And sometimes it should push you in ways that make you uncomfortable. And maybe your instinct is to disagree. Last week, I disagreed with James 3. I said, we should all just write that out of our Bibles. You, don't look, you can look it up, James 3, chapter 1. I've had some people come to me and say, Pastor, the Bible is special. It needs to be treated reverently and 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 and. and off on a shelf. And I always like to think, have you ever been married? Because in my relationship with my wife and my children and my brothers and my friends and those things that I love most in this world, sometimes we argue. I know. You're like the pastor's house. Never has fights. No plates are ever thrown. Yeah. You know, when you're in a committed relationship, when you love something, you argue with it. You fight for it. What you can't do is ignore it. If you ignore something you love, it, it dies. Around the turn of the 18th and 19th century, about the same time that Darwin published his Origin of the Species, a lot of biblical scholars began to engage in the Bible in ways that, that they would with other books. They, they brought the tools they used in, in English and archaeology, and they started to apply those tools to Scripture. In America, at that same time, there was a counter-movement rejecting that, what, what became known as the historical critical method. This was the founding of evangelical fundamentalism. It started language about the, the Bible being inerrant and, and perfect, holy and infallible. The Bible couldn't be criticized. It couldn't be argued with. What it said went, regardless of the context or history or scholarly consensus, it became a totem, a holy object on itself. I was doing a, a funeral, 
and the family, we were in the green room. They don't, it was not a green room. You know, the, the pregame room before you go out and do your funeral there. And you're supposed to say some nice words to the family and talk about the people and what you're going to do as a pastor. I was in the, the green room for the funeral, and then, and I had my, my notes, and I, I just kind of put it down on the table next to me. And I was talking to the family, and, and the son jumped up. He was older than me at the time. And he went and grabbed my notes and took them off and said, that's a Bible, Pastor. You can't put something on top of that. It wasn't the time or place. I was like, that's, that's not a holy totem. This is a means of communication that God has spoken into the world to bring us the words of life. God has given us this law, and it is beautiful, and it's wondrous, and it's confusing, and it's weird, and there's some stuff in there that should challenge you, and there's some stuff in there that should comfort you, and there's some stuff in there that probably should bother you, and it's okay to wrestle, to meditate. Verse 2, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. And when you do that, when that law of God is in your heart and you're wrestling with it and arguing with it and loving it and cherishing it and reading it and engaging with it, stuff starts happening. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its seasons. Fruit bearing trees with constant source of water. I don't know about you, but in my house, water comes out of a spigot. Which, by the way, I did not know that till this week. The spigot is S-P-I-G-O-T. For a long time, I had spigot in my in my sermon text, and I could not figure out why that wasn't record. Just spigot, spigot. I'm from South Carolina. We don't talk right. I don't know why I told you that story. I'm going to edit that in a post. In my house, water comes from this magic thing called a spigot, and I turn it on, and water comes out as much as I want and as much as I'm willing to pay for. Uh, the reality that hit home is especially hard to me this month because I had a running toilet, and my water bill was doubled. I did not know that. I used to live in a town called Siler City. It's out in Chatham County. We made national news a few years back. This would have been 2008 and 2009. We had a bad drought, and the town ran out of water. National news is on CNN. It was on uh, CBS. My mom called and she's all excited. I saw your dad on the news. We're running out of water. Not once did I ever turn on the tap and water didn't come. It was always there. What I'm saying is that I have no comprehension of what it would be like to be an Israelite when this was written. Growing up in an agricultural society that depended on the weather, that did not have irrigation, that did not have the, the modern conveniences of plumbing. I have no idea of, of how dependent and how reckless it would be to try to grow food and how secure and how comforting it would be to be by a stream. A stream that allowed those roots not just to stay on the surface where it rained, but to go deep and secure, to be grounded and rooted. Water is used throughout the Bible in a variety of ways. Sometimes water is a bad thing in Psalm 32 and 69 and Lamentations 3. Water is this thing that is a trouble. It is a thing that is threatening to destroy humanity. In Exodus 40, 14, water is a barrier. It stands between the people of God and the promises of God. In Proverbs 18 and 20, water symbolizes the depth and, and purposes of humanity. 
Finally, in Revelation, there is an image of, of a river of life that flows from the center of God's city and nourishes and sustains all of the people there. Here, water is a constant source of nourishment that allows the tree to grow. It is a symbol of humanity and life. Water never consumed, never is too much. It's always what the tree needs to establish the root and bear fruit, to grow and to prosper. Not so with the wicked. The two paths, remember? You want to see unhappy, miserable people? You want to see what the wicked are like? Go forward in your Bible a few chapters to the, to the prophets. Read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos and Hosea. You get a good picture of what it looks like when the people follow the path of, of wickedness. The psalm here says that they are like chaff. Another agricultural image. Chaff is, a, is an unusable material. When you harvest grain, they, it comes with a, a husk of a, a shell on it. And so what they would do is after they would harvest, they would bring it to what's called the threshing floor, this place outset aside and outside of the normal gathering. And there they would lay the grain down and they would take these giant forks and they would hit the grain. And as they hit it with the forks, it would, it would break the outer husk and that husk was dry and barren and it would fly into the air and the wind would carry it away. The wicked get blown away without substance, without weight, not being rooted in the stream of life that comes from meditating on the word. And it's not hard to push that metaphor to see in those, to see in ourselves when we are not grounded, when we are not rooted, when we are not nourished by the living river of life that flows from the law of the Lord. When we are there in that place and we find ourselves inevitably in the crucible of life. When you start getting beat on, when your job's bad, and your boss is yelling at you, when your church is struggling, when your relationships are on the rock, when everything is falling apart, in those moments when it gets hard, you get beat on and you crack, and you break, and carried away by the winds. Beloved, there is a lot of wisdom here. There are two roads diverged in the yellow wood, and I, sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood, Robert Frost said. There is the path of the wise, abundant and fertile and flourishing, straight and blessed, that is walked by struggling and engaging and wrestling and meditating and reading and applying the law of the Lord. And there is the path of the wicked. Dry and cracked, judged and punished. Which one are you going to walk? You can't do both. You can't intersect. You can't drop out. It's an either or, black and white with not a lot of gray. The problem is, I live in a world with a lot of gray. More every day in my hair. I live in a world not in either or, but in both and. And so let me end today with just a hint, just a, a whisper of grace. I know we're going to talk about grace next month. You don't want to miss it five, six Sundays, talking about the different aspects of grace, a whole series. I just want to give you a teaser here. Yes, friends, you need to read your Bible. I don't think this is a, this is a shocking thing for a pastor to say. 
The six verses that I read to you on a Sunday afternoon are not enough to sustain and establish your faith throughout the week. You have to return to this source over and over again, daily, hourly, read it, study it, enjoy it, argue with it, engage with it. Find in this book a place of blessed and happiness, and you've got to do the work to do it, to read it and wrestle with it, and not just the Bible. It's not just a cognitive thing. This is how we live our lives, being engaged in the law of God. Spend time in silent reflection. Do works of compassion. Take time to have the stinking water bottle in your car to give to those who beg to you. Do the things. Care about someone else. But also, give yourself a bit of grace. Walking hand in hand with goodness can only be accomplished by God's help. We cannot be the people that God desires us to be. We cannot be the people that we aspire to be except by complete surrender and dependence. It is not our right actions and our right behaviors that win us God's favor. It is the realization of our need for God in our lives that softens those places of wickedness that dwell in each of our hearts and empowers us to move past them, to ask for God's healing, to be the loving people. Blessed are those who find a relationship with their creator first and foremost. Then walk that path towards righteousness. In the words of Robert Frost, for that will make all of the difference. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.